So in September of 1994, David Crane and Marta Kaufman aired their sitcom creation that would span a whole decade. The show would become the number one show on television, and in its eighth season, and its uh, in its eighth season, it became the number one show on television. In its finale in May of 2004, it was the fifth most watched series finale in history. 52.5 million people tuned in to watch. Whether or not Rachel got off the plane. The show, simply, uh, simply titled Friends, was ranked by TV Guide as the 21st best show ever. How did it end up being viewed by so many uh, as one of the greatest shows to ever hit the small screen? It could have been the characters, could have been the sets, or maybe it's the show that had a culturally changing impact on the way we construct friend groups into chosen families. So the question I want to ask you guys this morning is, who are your friends and why? Now, for those of you that watched Friends, you can all probably agree that it didn't exactly have the strongest Christian uh, influence. Uh, but it undoubtedly showed just how interested people are with the idea of close friends and how they live together. So what does the Bible have to tell us about friends? I'm going to break this up into two sections. We're going to examine our friends, we're going to take a look at the people that are closest to us, and then on the other side, we're going to have a look and see how we're doing as friends. So how do you choose friends? For most of us, I know for at least the last few decades, um, I may be extending that out just a little bit far, but we looked at Facebook, right? Facebook, the place for friends. Um, <clears throat> so let's see, I have 637 friends. Now, some of you may be thinking, sounds like a lot. Others may be thinking, he's not very popular. <laughs> but let me give you some numbers to uh, help your conclusion in one direction or the other. The national average for friends, this was last year's numbers, but is 338. Um, I have a cousin who lives out in California now, but uh, she used to live in Tidewater. She has 24 friends. I'm sorry, tw 2,400 friends, 2,400. Um, our own Jake Hummer, I don't see him, but if you see Jake, Jake has 2,500 friends, so he's a lot more popular than I am. Um, but I have a, uh, a friend of mine that I used to work with at TGI Fridays that has 5,000 friends, which I recently found out is the cap. That is as much as they will allow you to have as a personal page before you actually have to make a business page. It's incredible. I never thought that would be a problem, but she has 5,000 friends. So I won't speak for the other ones that I've mentioned here, or I won't speak for any of you when it comes to your friend groups on Facebook. But I will say, quite honestly, I have recently run into one of the people on my list of friends at the grocery store, walking right past them, and when I got two aisles over, I realized neither one of us had taken the time to speak. So how can we, how can we call someone a friend if we don't even take, take a moment to speak to them? And I, it wasn't malicious. Like I, I didn't see them and go, I don't want to talk to them. It just literally didn't cross either of our minds, obviously. So because of that, for today, I'm going to look at our friends on Facebook more as acquaintances. Jesus himself only had 12 close friends. And from there, he even had an inner circle of three. We read about that. He may have fed the 5,000, but he certainly didn't sit and eat with them on a regular basis. So what we want to do today is I want to find your 12. I want to help you look at your, look at your 12. And with that 12, Jesus sat 
and ate his final supper. So I want to use that analogy of a table, okay? So if you guys can envision your table for a moment. Molly, can you back up for a second? There we go. There's a table. It's the only 12-seater table I could find. I believe this one's available at Wayfair if anybody's looking for a 12-seater table. There we go. So think about your, be thinking about your hypothetical table for a second uh, and who is sitting at your table and, more importantly, why are they there? Proverbs 12.26, you go ahead, there we go. Proverbs 12.26 tells us, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A chapter later in Proverbs 13.20 reiterates this point by saying, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. It's a pretty pointed words, isn't it? Straight up telling us if you, if you this is the old adage. I, I know a lot of you probably had your mom telling you this. You are who you hang out with. Anybody ever heard that before? I feel like that's where it comes from. But what this is not telling us is that we are able to, we, we are called to just seclude ourselves off and only hang out with Christians. That's not what it's saying. We are called to go out and we are called to hang out with the non believers or they're never going to hear the good news. What this is telling us is that we really need to be careful about the people that we are spending a great deal of time with and, more importantly, making decisions with. That we are sitting with, we are talking about important things, and we are making important decisions with them. I'm not going to do that with these people. So there's another illustration that a speaker used at a conference that I attended I really liked. I'm going to have her put that up here in just a second. There we go. So... All the people that you interact with on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever the case is, we're called to be honest with everybody, transparent with some, and vulnerable with a few. If I follow that, I'm going to say it one more time. Honest with everyone. Everyone that you come in contact with, you should be honest with. Transparent with some. Vulnerable with a few. It's that top section that we're talking about. Sorry, I lost my spot. In John chapter 15, verse 14 through 15, Jesus tells us, You are my friends if you do as I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the business of his master. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. This is pretty incredible news. You hear Jesus referred to many times in the scripture as master, right? But what he's telling his disciples at this point, you guys have become my friends. I have told you everything that my father has told me, so now you've become my friend. Think about this for a second. These guys at this point only had the Old Testament. They had all the many books and laws, and even if you haven't read them, you can look at the the first five books, right, all the Torah, and, and talk about or see how many different things they had to live up to. Jesus is telling them, here are my commands. And we can go back into Matthew chapter 22 and find out what his commands are. When asked, he says, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. With these two, all the other commands are hung. So simple as that. We have the opportunity to have Jesus at our table. Sounds obvious, right? But how many of us are actually doing that? 
he can be kind of a complicated table guest because he's going to have a lot of opinions about things. So the first and the first and most important seat at the table needs to be Jesus. And if you haven't made that commitment, or maybe he's there, and maybe he's not really sitting close to you, uh, please come talk to somebody, because that really is going to dictate who else is sitting there. Uh, that, that's a very important person to have. Now let's talk about the other seats. Obviously, if you were married, your spouse should have a seat. I'll come back to that one in just a minute. Maybe one or both of your parents have one, your coworkers, uh, and I feel very blessed to have coworkers that I also consider friends and that are good Christian people. Um, I know not everyone has that kind of situation. Your buddies from college, the girls at the hair salon, the people in your life group, um, and I will I know mention this I will mention this last week. But if you're not a member of a life group, we have a dozen of them, uh, and the number is growing. Uh, so please, please come talk to either Will, or myself, Mark, Charlotte, anybody. We we love to get you plugged into a life group. Uh, they vary in ages, discussion points, all sorts of things. At this point, I'm confident we can find you something that you'd be interested in. Um, Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen through fifteen. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteous and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? It's the word fellowship that, I really, that really sticks out here. Close friends should be the ones that we're able to share and fellowship with. If we do not strive for the same things, if we are not pulling the same direction, we're either going to be dragging them, sitting still, or having them drag us. If there is someone in your life that you are set on changing, keep in mind that we are only called to plant the seeds. Only God can grow them. So the first section that I was talking about as far as choosing our friends, if you currently have somebody sitting at your table that you feel like, as Will mentioned before, you're not doing nothing's, nothing illegal is happening, but when you hang out with this person, you're making a lot of poor choices. Everybody's got those, right? Maybe. If you're, especially if your college buddies are still at your table, I feel like that could be a, a definite possibility. Yes or no, right? Um, this is when it starts to get tough. This is when you start to have to make those decisions. I will tell you guys very honestly, uh, I had a lot of people that I was very close to from TGI Fridays when I was working at my previous job. I spend 40, 50 hours a week with people. You get to know them very, very well. And after I started working here, I thought I would really like to get them to come. I would like to continue that friendship. But there wasn't any way that I could still hang out with them and try to start living life the way God called me to. I couldn't change their heart. And that kills me. There are a lot of days I think about that. And I, and I, I think I, I needed to try harder. I needed to go, and I needed to spend more time with them. And maybe, maybe something could have happened. But ultimately, they were going to be pulling me down. So I had to cut it off. This is hard, folks. There are people that you might have known for 
four years, might have known for 25. They can fall into this category. But the scripture is quite clear. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And I know that that term yoked, I did a Sunday, we did a Sunday school class years ago that spent the majority of it just talking about that word yoked. Yoked referring to two oxen bound together, pulling in one direction. And I can't remember the stats off the top of my head right now, but I remember reading somewhere, for those of you that are numbers people, um, an oxen by itself can pull something like 2,000 pounds. And double check, you can fact check me on this one, but I assure you that the numbers are at least close. Uh, one ox can pull 2,000 pounds by itself, but two oxen yoked together can pull something like 10,000 pounds. Again, the numbers are probably not exact on that, but the, the principle still stands the same. Two people pulling in the exact same direction can achieve a lot more than just one going, going it alone. This is, again, why we need friends. Um, I mentioned the time with TGI Fridays, and I, will, I told you I was going to get back to the spouse thing. God has blessed me with a very, very special lady. And she wears the ring that matches this one. I didn't include this in my notes because I didn't want her to read it. But <laughs> long before we even said our I do's, Jillian was already working as a friend. And she, she actually was conveying a lot of the stuff that I will talk about later. Um, but the honesty aspect of being able to look at somebody and saying, you're screwing up. I, some of you know our, our dating story. It was a lot of off and on. Uh, but I will never forget, there was a phone call that after we had split up one, one time, I called her up and I said, why are we not together still? And she was nice enough, she actually listed the reasons. She told me, she told me what I was doing wrong. And I wrote them down. And after I got to the end of the second page, no, just kidding, no. <laughs> What's that? What? That was Carmen, all right, yeah. <laughs> but she was honest with me. She was, she was willing to look at me and say, you're better than that. That's huge. That's one of the, that is one of the major reasons why I picked her. And I'm grateful for that because she still does it for me. She is still willing to look me in the eye and say, you need to do better. Which brings me to my second point. Because maybe some of you have been sitting there this whole time and you've been thinking, Eric, I have great friends. I really, I, I don't need to change out anybody who's sitting here. I have a great inner circle. Um, so this point is for you. One of the most important aspects to friendship, and one that unfortunately is, is not there in so many relationships nowadays, is honesty. And I can see, look on a couple of your faces, you're already getting defensive. So bear with me for a second. I'm not saying that you lie to your friends. I'm not saying that you do any, I'm not saying that you're actively dishonest. You're not honest by omission. And what I mean by that is that when a friend has given you a seat at their table and you know them and you are in that inner circle, are you willing to look them in the eye when they are making a mistake and say, you're better than that? Are you willing to call them out on it? It's terrifying. Now, I, I, now 
please hear all the parts of that question because <laughs> for those of you, uh, those of you who went to VCU, there was a, a, a sidewalk preacher that used to always crack me up, okay? This is, I'm giving you an example. This is not what I'm talking about. There was a guy who used to stand on the compass and just shout at people and just tell them how they were all going to hell. He didn't have a relationship with any of these people. He was hitting them with a bunch of Old Testament fire and brimstone, hoping that they were going to make some sort of life-changing thought. Are are you kidding? There's no way that somebody's ever going to hear, make a change or you're going to hell, and they're going to go, you know, that sounds like a good plan. Let's follow this guy. No, it's the friends. It's the people that you've actually spent time with and you've gotten to know because you know that they care about you. That's the reason they're telling you something. And oftentimes, these people let you in. That doesn't always mean that they have a seat at your table. Let me be clear about that one. Just because you have a seat at someone else's table doesn't necessarily mean that they have a seat at yours. But if you care deeply for somebody, make sure that you are willing to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds of a friend can be trusted, but the enemy multiplies kisses. I've also heard the first half translated, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Further in chapter 17, uh, I'm sorry, in, in verse 17 we read, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. If you've ever seen someone work with iron, you know it's not a calm process at all. Sparks fly everywhere, and it's really quite violent. You ever have somebody that really, really grinds on you? You ever have that person? Sometimes you, you, you wonder, are they doing this just to get on your nerves? Maybe it's because they care. Find out if they do. Sometimes there are people that just grind on your nerves. But if this is somebody that truly loves you, maybe they're just sharpening iron. There's nothing easy about this aspect of friendship, which is why it is non-existent in so many relationships. Because you're in many ways risking the friendship when you test it. The person could just end up ending the relationship entirely or decide that this is the moment to bring up all of your shortcomings and in doing so, try to shut you up. It's downright terrifying, but it's so important. I know that Mark has used this before, uh, but I couldn't help but use it here. American pastor Warren Wiersbe uh, was quoted as saying, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. So who are your friends? Are they walking with you and encouraging you down the path that God has set before you? Are you being a good friend to those that you've let in? And are you willing to have those tough conversations? Christ's love and friendship is available to all of us, but not without accepting the truth. Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful that you've given us the opportunity to be your friend. Uh, Lord, we pray that you are welcome and you are active at our table. 
Because, Lord, we know that without your guidance, we are destined to make all sorts of poor, poor choices. Lord, I pray that we're all willing and able to know when the right times to show more love and the right times to show more truth are. Lord, I pray that as we go out in this world, uh, we are reflections of you. Uh, We are reflections of both your truth and your love to everyone that we come into contact with. And as Lord, I pray all of this in your name. Amen.